Father, as we think of the sacrifice for our redemption, Father, may uh, our hearts be eager to hear your word, to hear from our dear brother Paul as he set the course before us. And Father, may you through your spirit take these words Make them part of the fiber of who we are. The unity of the body of Christ. And that one sure foundation, which is you. Father, I ask now that your spirit would teach us the authority of your holy writ. And that, Father, we, with joy and amazement, Give a hearty amen to the word of the Lord in Christ's name. Amen. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillated when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me, there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, Timothy was not yes and no, but yes in him. For as many are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who has sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we lord, o, lord it over your faith, but our workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you are standing firm. But I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow who then makes me glad, but the one whom I made sorrowful. This is the very thing I wrote you, so that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you, and all of my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but you, you might know the love which I have especially for you. This is a, a fascinating text. This is the look at the heart of the Apostle Paul in spite of the fact that this church was attacking him. Uh, there were some who, I believe, if you read your text there in verse 17, uh, accused him of uh, vacillating. And, and they accused him of being fickled and he couldn't make up his mind. And why, why would I want to believe somebody who, who can't keep his travel plans and when they're trying to tell, teach me a gospel? 
Uh, and, and, and you see this, and, and I think this is a very appropriate text. It's the reason that I have called it in my framework, God's pastor. What does God's pastor look like? This is not a, a, a theological dissertation here. This is the heart of a man of God who is called to be a servant to the bride of Christ. Um, you would take great comfort if you would listen to this and know this because uh, we are in a day and an age of charlatans. We are in a day and age of false teachers. We are in a day and age of, of many men and women who have taken to the pulpit as a vocation. And uh, it, it's a tragedy because uh, there, is, there is no discernment, none whatsoever. And, and I watch pastors and I've had dealings with pastors in this community for years and years and years now. And it's, it's a tragedy, it's a heartache uh, of what I see and what is called the pastorate today. Uh, and and, and I, I would give anything that men who are called of God would bow to that calling, allow God to use them uh, in his purposes and his purpose and his ways. And that's what the Apostle Paul has given us. And I was sharing in our Sunday school class this morning that what has amazed me about my study of these two letters is the amount of heartache and anguish that this church caused Paul. And yet you read this and his love for these people are second to nothing. And, you know, you just go read 1 Corinthians uh, you know, uh, the first six chapters, he just blasts them. And it is until chapter seven, he says, now concerning things, you wrote me. <laughs> and then he starts dealing with some of their issues. OK, but he just it, and that is an awful it's a mess. And yet um, he has a love for these people. Uh, even in spite of the accusations and, and, and the attacks that was coming against him. And one of the ways that the enemy attacks the gospel these days, as they did at the time of Paul in the writing of the New Testament, is let me attack the integrity or the character of the messenger. Okay, I remember when I first became a pastor, the guy who was... One who laid hands on me says, understand this. If they can't find anything in your doctrine and they can't find any open sin in your life, they're going to attack you. And it will be unrelenting. And, you know, at the time, you know, you heed it and you hear it. Um, but you had really no idea of, of, of what you have just stepped into uh, because um, it, it, is, it, is, it is very difficult at times. And yet uh, I read my brother Paul here, and even in the midst of the attacks, he was unwavering in his love, his care, his compassion that he had for this group of people in this city. We've looked at these. Uh, verses 15 and 16, you see that he was loyal to these people. Uh, the reason that I say that is that uh, if he wasn't loyal, then why would he even want to return to him? Right? And not only did he want to return to him, he wanted to spend some time with him. 
And not only did he want to spend some time with them, he was making, trying to adjust his schedule so he could see them twice. Okay? But he was also honest in 17 and 18. You see the honesty that he has. Uh, I'm not vacillating. I'm not like in the flesh that is yes and no. He says all the promises are fulfilled in Christ. And is Christ a yes and no answer? No. And he says, is that not what we preached? If we were vacillating, you know, why would we be brought to you to give you a yes and no gospel? However you want to take it, gospel. Or however you want to use it, gospel. He says, so what we gave you, you saw. You are a witness to it. You see the fruit of it. But he was also reliable, 19 and 20. He says, I preached. Sylvanus preached or Silas preached. Timothy preached. Right? We're all saying the same thing. There isn't a change in the message. And God is faithful. Our word to you is not yes and no. It is stable. But then it brings us into the fourth point there you have in your outlines. Verses 21 and 22. The Apostle Paul and the heart of God's pastor is one that is authentic. Is authentic. In verse 21 he says this. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ... And anointed us is God, who has sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Okay? That's authentic. All right? If you really... It's like the Apostle Paul, in a a backwards way, is saying, if you're really questioning my integrity, you need to talk to God about it. Because we've been sealed. And, and, you know, there's a part of me that looks at this and says, how ridiculous is this? Okay, how, you know, it isn't that the man of God is not going to be attacked. But you have the church that he founded and planted in Corinth attacking him. I mean, you're not even a church if Paul don't show up. And, and, and yet, I have seen this. I have bore witness to this. See, uh, what's funny about this and the way the, the apostle writes this is that he doesn't claim to be authentic. Um, uh, I watch this today. Okay, I see men who believe that they have been called to the pastorate because of an achievement. Um, uh, you know, I, I have achieved an education or I have written a book or, you know, I have, quote unquote, fill in the blank, done something that you you see. Uh, you know, I use common sense. I, I uh, had an opportunity this week to meet with some pastors and they were discussing some things that were going on in the church, uh, their churches, and they got a whiteboard up. And they began writing like you would in a business meeting of a corporation on here's our problems. How would you solve it? Here is this problem. How would you solve it? Here's this problem. How would you solve it? And I just sat there and I looked at it and I said, what a tragedy that you have to use a business model to deal with conflict and a supernatural entity that is the bride of Christ. 
nah, that, that went over well. <laughs> but I, I basically told him I wasn't interested. Well, how would you do it? I would sanctify him with truth. And I would do it through encouragement, through exhortation, preaching and teaching. I know, sounds archaic, doesn't it? Paul is saying here, if you're going to question my life, if you're going to question my message, if you're going to question my integrity, if you're going to question my authority, I would highly encourage you to talk to God. Because He's the one who establishes us in Christ. He anointed us, God did. He sealed us, God did. And He gave us the Spirit, God did. Okay? These are four amazing works. And and I really want you to think about this because I hear a whole bunch of poo out there today that says you need to deal with this in your life and add this to your life and do this with Christ and do this. You will hear the phrase, you need spiritual disciplines. No, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. Absolutely not. Okay? Um, These four verbs that he lays out in here are, are staggering. But I want you to look, first of all, in verse 21. Now, he who establishes me. Is that what it says? Us. Okay. The us there is a direct reference to the church in Corinth, Silas, Timothy, and Paul. You get that? All right. Now, now I want to interject something here that you and I need to be aware of. Who is the us? Is it the pastor? The elders? The Sunday school teacher? It is the saints of the most high God. Okay. Four tremendous truths that he gives you. See, he establishes us. Then look what he throws in there next to it. Who is that? With you. Contextually, he's speaking to the Corinthians. Contextually, he's speaking of my relationship with God and your relationship with God. You know, I have been blessed um, beyond my understanding of, of, of longevity in this congregation because I'm starting to see now um, things that are totally cool. <laughs> From a pastor's point of view, Okay, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you that. Okay, uh, there's a group of men who meet on Tuesday mornings to pray for this church. You know what's really cool about it? I'm not there. Okay, there is a group of women now who are picking. Um, how does the covenant of God affect us? And they're going to study it themselves for thirty days. And you know what's really cool about it? 
I'm not there. I like that. Why? I know in many places that the congregation is not going to do something unless the pastor is there. Okay? Now, I hate to break the news to you. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. We have a group of people that take turns spending the day praying for this church. And then the next day, they'll call somebody else who is on the wall. And that person will pray for this church. Now, I'm involved in that. But I pray for you guys every day. I don't really um, take time off the wall, I guess. That's how I'd reflect it. But do you understand... There's no difference in the eyes of God between you and me. Do you know that I don't have the red phone to the throne room? Do you know that if you're saved and you offer up a prayer, it immediately goes to the ear of God? Do you know you don't have to call me to get that number? Now, don't get me wrong. I rejoice when people call me and say, you know what? This thing has happened. Would you please lift it up in prayer? I don't. That is not what I'm saying. But I don't have more influence with moving his hand than you've got. And I'm not sure that some of you may not have more influence moving his hand than I've got. And I have been blessed with that. But when I read this here, it says, He who establishes us with you in Christ. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the founder of this church. This is the Apostle to the Gentiles. And he says we're all equal. We're all equal. We're all in this together. Paul says... You're also involved in this. You, you know, I, I watch people and you will hear them. And it's, it's, it grates on me when I hear people say, this is my ministry. You know what? In a lot of cases, it is yours. It isn't God's. Because when I, what are we doing in Russia? When I go to Russia, I am only a representative of you. That's it. It isn't Terry's ministry to the Russians. It is Castle Rock Baptist Church's ministry to the Russians. When you think about what we're doing in Myanmar, that that isn't my ministry. That is our ministry. Why? Because we are in Christ. I think that's awesome. See, this is... This statement that he throws out there in verse 21 is so amazing. It, 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 there's a kindness in it. But, but, but it is, and it's so gracious. He, he's not presenting himself as authentic, but in the sense that he's above them. But he is with them. Too many churches I see today have a hierarchy. All right, you have the leadership. And then you got us. And you know what? The Apostle Paul never saw that. He never saw that. He said, with us, you with us, 
were all together. I mean, he wanted to give them a blessing twice. Why? So they could bless him. And that they could help him in his ministry to Judea. See, when you think about that phrasing there, it's amazing because he says, we are all authentic. And if I'm not authentic, then guess what? You're not either. So if you attack my authenticity, if you attack my integrity, you are tearing at the very fabric of the unity of the church. And let's be realistic. A cursory reading of the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, they definitely had a unity problem. You had a lot of people who were just flat out selfish. You had rich people who didn't have to go to work, would have this great festival and this great feast, and they would eat all the good stuff. And when the poor people who had to work for the day got there, there was nothing but crumbs left. There were people who were vying for the best seats in the house and the best accolades. They were actually perverting the spiritual gifts to show off. Now, let me tell you something. You start perverting the spiritual gifts, you have now got a unity problem. You have a unity problem. And it's not just him. He's saying that Silas is on the same line. Timothy is on the same line. And even all of the Corinthians are on the same line. See, it's our hearts, us, with you. Then he gives us four great things. Four glorious works that God has done. Works that he has done, God has done in Paul's life. And four magnificent works that had been accomplished in the hearts of all the saints. That you get instantaneously. It isn't one of these, I'm going to go out and get this. Or if I, if I do 25 Hail Marys, I'll have what? Okay. Or maybe if I uh, uh, pray, I know, if I read the whole book of Psalms in one setting, then I'll be sealed. Or, or you'll hear people talk about, I'm needing an anointing. And I'm like, you got one. And you don't need another one. I would highly suggest utilizing the one you got. First thing you see here, verse 21. He who establishes us in Christ. The word there literally says makes stable. Makes stable. All right. He, he puts us on a foundation. It is the instantaneous work of saving grace. He places us in union with each other in the body of Christ. Did you know that? It happens instantaneously. That's why it drives me nuts when I see people who are not in church. Okay, why? Because I hate to break the news to you, you're already in union with us. You just ain't acting like it. And you're the one who's missing out, and we miss out because you're not there. Why? Because that's what it means to be established. 
established, to be foundational, to be stable. Do you realize that the single most stabilizing force on the planet Earth today is the bride of Christ? And I see Christians, quote unquote Christians, who don't want to be in fellowship. Well, I kind of worship my own way. So you're selfish. That's what you're telling me? I have a spiritual gift and it's just for me. We are united. When I see this word established in the original language, it's united, it's rooted, it's grounded, and it's all founded in Christ. That's where the stability is. It says, do not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Well, where are you going to learn good doctrine? Church. I know, interesting concept, isn't it? Well, I thought you had to go to like Bible college. You don't want to go to Bible college. (laughs) You're not going to get good doctrine. Well, what about seminary? I wouldn't go there either. I wouldn't go there. You know, and I tell people, there's nothing wrong with seminary, but you better have your doctrine intact before you get there. We are together. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Here's what they're attacking. They're attacking the integrity of this man, which they're saying, Paul, you're not authentic. And Paul is basically saying, well, that's weird. Because if we're all rooted and we're all grounded and we're all established and we're all foundational in Christ, how can I not be and you be? See, here, we are one in Christ. We don't go out and make us one in Christ. Or, you know, well, I'm in a Baptist church. I'm one in Christ. Listen, I know a whole bunch of Baptists I don't want to be with on Judgment Day. Okay, I know some Presbyterians I don't mind hanging with. But what's funny is everybody says, well, you know, denominations corrupt. Okay, you know what? Man corrupts. All right. Uh, You know, I I got some dear friends. uh, We went to that conference last week on mysticism and they're all IFCA. And I said, what's that? Well, we're independent fundamentalist churches. What? (laughs) Well, we're independent. And so we started our own denomination. I said, doesn't that sound stupid to you? And that's, that's why they keep asking me back. Come on back, Terry. What else brilliant you got to show us? Okay. But, but they get into this stuff and I'm sitting there going, but you understand that in the unity of church globally, you have a huge impact. And sometimes you got to do that even if you're independent fundamentalist churches. Or Baptist. I don't understand. You know, people say, well, <laughs> I remember somebody coming to me and said, well, have you ever thought about changing the name of the church? <laughs> to what, garage? <laughs> I don't know. What do you want me to change it? <laughs> you know, Rock Baptist garage? I don't know. <laughs> what do you want me to change it to? And he said, well, you know, some people are put off. And I said, you know what? If a person doesn't attend a church because it's got Baptists on the title, I probably don't want them anyway. I mean, if that's going to keep you from going to a church because of a name, um, you have bigger issues than whether I put Presbyterian Baptist or IFCA on that wall. Okay? But that's the kind of stuff that is out there today. The unity is already there. Absolutely. It is already there. Paul is telling you and I today, if I'm not authentic, you're not either. Why? Because we 
are established in Christ collectively. Collectively. The difference in this room right now, okay, is some in this room, faith has been tested, tried, and perfected. Some have a lot of information, but they've never had it tested. That is the only difference is to the level of faith that exists in the room. There are some in here who have amazing amounts of knowledge, but have never had to put it to the test. Do I trust it? Others have very little amounts of knowledge and yet have never been able to get out of the flame. And it's being purified and purified and purified. And they're growing in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the only difference in this room. Why? Because you have all been established. You are all in Christ already. See, God put us all together, all in Christ. We are all ground in Christ. We are all founded in Christ. We are all rooted in Christ. Listen, Paul gives, it's so cool here. I just look at it from this perspective. Paul is basically saying, my authenticity cannot be divorced from yours. If I'm not authentic, guess what? None of us are. Okay, second thing. Look what he says. He's established us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Anointed us. Curio. Okay. Uh, Man, I have heard so many weird on what this is. Okay. Let me, I'm on, maybe it's just me. Okay. Basically, all it means is there was a commissioning service. I know. <laughs> you was really expecting some kind of thing. Because I watch people take, I'm, I'm in need of an anointing. And I'm thinking, no, you're, you're annoying. You're just not pronouncing it right. Okay. Well, it's true. Listen, you are anointed in God. You're not in the process of being anointed. And what does this is like dealing with covenant? What does the Bible teach it? Well, when you got ready to have a king, what did you do? You anointed him. If you got ready to send out a prophet, what did you do? You anointed him. If you were to send out a priest, what did you do? You anointed him. And all it is is a commissioning service. And what he's saying is, because you are in Christ, you have been anointed. Now, every one of you, even the church in Corinth. And curial is is a simple word. It's just a commissioning service. Did you know at the moment of your salvation, you had a commissioning service? When we were saved, we had an anointing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and 27. You have been anointed by God that you need no man to teach you, but the Spirit will instruct you. You know, and I watch people do this. 
they, they want to, I'm going to study the Bible because I, I, I need, I'm going to teach a Sunday school class or I'm going to teach a Bible study at my home. Uh, well, you missed it. You study the Bible because you have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and he may use you as a teacher. It's that simple. Okay, and what is so amazing about this is, this is where I get into trouble even in our denomination, is that I do not believe in multiple interpretations of the scripture. The Holy Spirit wrote the book through men, and guess what? He meant it one way. Now, it may have multiple applications, but if you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, I have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, then how can we come up with multiple interpretations? That's impossible. And yet I watch people. Well, I think what this means. I heard a guy talking to me the other day said that, you know, that John 17 prayer, you know, where Jesus prays, it just hasn't been answered yet. Oh, what? And I said, well, I'm not as educated as you are. But how does God pray to God and not get an answer from God? I, I don't know. I I know that seems simplistic, but I also understand God created me. And he says, you can't handle confusing. So I'm going to keep it simple. All right. And then we decided, well, let's confuse it. When we were saved, we have this anointing. We have an anointing from God that no man need to teach us because the Holy Spirit can teach us. Oh, see there. That's why I don't go to church. Really? God has given apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastor teachers. For what? To annoy you. No. For what? For the equipment of the saints for service. Why? So that you will act on your anointing, on your commissioning. See, when the Lord anoints us, we got to ask this question. What in the world does that mean? Okay. It means he has set us apart For a special service. Now, if you look at Peter's ideology of this, you'll understand it. What is it? We are royal priesthood. Right? Each of us actually have a prophetic service. Did you know that? Why? You will proclaim. You will herald Jesus Christ. Did you, you know, we just took it to the Lord's table. I, I got people who don't go to church and they don't take it to the Lord's table. And that says, but you proclaim the gospel when you do this. That's part of your anointing, brothers and sisters. Why? I am partaking of the Lord's table to proclaim the good news. And I'm only supposed to do that until he returns. That's not complicated. And I can't remember who said it. But the comment was, preach the gospel and if you have to, use words. Yeah, St. Francis. Okay, do you see that? You got to use the words sometimes. If you look at it, I, I look at spiritual gifts and I break them down into two, two lines. I know. Well, there's more. No, there's not. Okay, you go look at it. There's two gifts. Serving, speaking. And yet both of them take the anointing to do them. Why? Because they are divinely they're divine empowered endeavors. And I don't think you want to try to do this in your own strength. Okay. We have service and proclamation. 
And he gives us the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. It's just the power that we need to do this service. That's good stuff. You know, I remember talking to some guys and, and to be a Christian, if you're a true child of God, it is the laziest profession on the planet. You're just a vessel. Where's the energy source? God is. Where's the purpose of the source? God is. Where's the plan for the source? God is. So what are you? Earthen vessel. <laughs> I don't have to do nothing. Sit around and rejoice. That's not complicated. And everybody looked at me and said, hey, you're trying to keep it simple again, ain't you? Okay. When I think of anointing, I, I kind of keep it here. And I wrote this down wrong because I put it down here that it's a scared commission. But what I meant to say was a sacred commission. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the flaws of writing sermons by hand. You don't have spell check. Uh, <laughs> But you have a sacred commission. Do you understand that you have a sacred commission at the moment that you are saved? As you are going, make disciples of all peoples. Okay. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It isn't even our power source. Okay. See, God has grounded us in Christ. He's established us in Christ. God has commissioned us for service and he has given us the power for that service in the person of the Holy Spirit. That should just thrill your socks off. But you know what's really cool? He ain't done. Verse 22. He has also sealed us. What in the world does that mean? Okay. Um, at the writing of the New Testament, it was common for legal documents, important documents, to, when you roll them up, you would take wax, hot wax, and you'd melt it on there, and then you'd seal it with your ring that says, that I own this. This is, this is mine. Uh, if, if you were going to mail a letter or send a letter or a, a, a legal decree, you would roll it up, seal it with your ring, your seal, whatever your X was. And when they got it, they would say, hey, look, that means... It's from whoever sent it. Okay. It, it, it was something to authenticate it. It, it, it. it meant possession and ownership, but it also meant that this document was authentic and it also protected whoever was carrying the document, whoever owned the document, and whoever was going to receive the document. You see it. I'll just give you these texts so uh, for the sake of time you can look them up. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says that we were sealed. Ephesians 1 13. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, 4 verse 30, we were sealed. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19, we have been sealed. And we have been sealed with His Spirit. And basically when you see that, that God has sealed us. God is shouting for all of eternity. They are mine. I like it. I really like it. I think that's good. They are authentic. They bear my seal. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul says, you're going to attack me on whether I'm authentic? You're attacking the very fabric of the church. 
Because now you're saying that the church isn't real. See, I, I look at this when I see this and it says he has sealed us. He's established us. He has sealed us. He has anointed us. Okay, that sealing of us, it's like God saying, don't touch them. They are protected. They're mine. They are my possession. That's awesome. That is totally awesome. God has marked us out for ownership. They are authentic, and therefore, if they are authentic, they are protected. Paul says, that's me and you. That's me and you. We are sealed. We are God's sealed. We have been established in Christ, rooted, grounded, foundationed in Christ. And he has anointed us. He has commissioned us for sacred service. And he has sealed us. That all of creation knows that these are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are authentic. We are sealed. Okay? Then look what he says. And he gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. This is oh so cool. Okay? Erebon. Erebon. That's the word that we translate pledge. Um, it literally speaks of an engagement ring. Okay, read your context. Child of God has an engagement ring given to them from God. And the engagement ring is what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's as a pledge. It's, it's, a, it's, it's like a, a down payment. It's the guarantee of something going to happen. Okay, uh, when uh, a man finds that woman and he wants to make a guarantee, he goes, pulls a pop top off and sticks it no. <laughs> He goes into 50 years of debt <laughs> to say, this is future glory. <laughs> Just loses something in this illustration, doesn't it? <laughs> All the way I'm going, future glory? <laughs> Where was that at? <laughs> I don't remember that. Okay? Uh, it's the first installment from God. Paul says, do you see what God has done? He has taken us. He has grounded us in Christ. He's anointed us with, for holy service. He has sealed us to mark that we are authentic. And He has protected us under that sealing. And He has given us the Holy Spirit as proof to you and I that you're real. You're authentic. See, now listen, I want you to think about this from, uh, from two perspectives for a second. One is the Apostle Paul. They're attacking his integrity. Okay? Now listen, people in the church are attacking his integrity. All right? And he says, you know what? But if I'm not real, and you bought our message, how can you be real? You ever thought about that? It's a good question. There is unity now. You know, and the guy was telling me, he said, well, the, the church is all disjointed. There is no unity. And that means that that John 17 has never been answered. And I said, no, John 17 has been answered. 
we're just missing the sanctifying with truth part. We're sanctifying them with psychology and philosophy and books about the Bible instead of the Bible. I'm trying to enhance your mood by the music we have or dimming the lights and lighting some candles. And and I wonder why there's no unity. You see what I'm trying to get at? But I give you the truth. And if you don't like it, then one of us has an authentic problem. Look what God has done. And He has protected us. And He's given us a down payment on our eternal inheritance. The Erebon of the Holy Spirit. He's done all of this for all of us. And He did it instantaneously, by the way. It's not a progression here. Have you ever thought about it? You know, I I listen to some of the stuff that we blame the Holy Spirit for. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's true. You know, I've seen people act completely goofy saying that the Holy Spirit did it. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit's ministry is very specific. It is to comfort you and me. I will send you the comforter. If you're acting silly and you're making other saints uncomfortable, you did something wrong. It's just that simple. All right, because if you read First Corinthians, you see where that was going on on a semi-regular basis, and we have to pay attention to it. Why the Holy Spirit to me? Okay, now first of all, He comes into the world to convict the world of sin. Okay, did you did you get that? That is not your responsibility. Okay, He's got that handled. All right, I see too many in the body of Christ today who believes it's their responsibility to convict the world of sin. And that ain't your job. All right. Second, he is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is the one who says, my presence in you should bring you great courage, great confidence, great comfort, no matter what's going on around you. All right. Because that ceiling And that indwelling of the Spirit is where you and I are going to get our unity from. I mean, I I know Christians right now who are vegetarians, okay? And they believe that they should eat, you know, just grazing foods, (laughs) okay? Now, I like vegetables occasionally, especially when they're laying right next to a big steak. (laughs) Well, they they just seem to taste better. (laughs) Okay, and, 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 and yet, you know, people say, well, how can you, you got a vegetarian, you like to do this. You know, I, I like to hunt. Some people think you should hunt with a camera. Yeah, but you'll starve. <laughs> okay, um, I like to hunt. You know, I grew up hunting. Uh, I still enjoy it. I don't have a lot of time for it, but I, I enjoy it. I like to fish. Okay, I like to eat fish. It tells me my heart will be better or something. I don't know. Uh, and, and it's stuff like that. And people say, well, how can you hunt? Well, here lately, not very well, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I have had some success. In Why? You know what? It's, it's provision. That's what I look at it. God provides. I like elk. Okay. I like smoked pheasant. Sorry. Okay. Then how do we get along? Because we have an Arabon. We have an engagement, 
a future inheritance and glory. The person of the Holy Spirit is the same one that's in me, the same one that's in you, the same one that's in the Apostle Paul. And I think that that should outweigh anything. Okay? I mean, I've had people say, well, how can you be a preacher and have a beard? I don't know. If you see me with sharp things, you would be praising God that I don't shave. (laughs) I'm kind of dangerous. Okay, it became human sacrifice. But, but see, that's the kind of stuff. There's things in this room right now that we have in common. There's things that we don't have in common. You know, some of you may be pulling for the New, New Orleans Saints today. Some of you will be losers. No. <laughs> but uh, uh, but you know, we can get along with it. You know, I know people who like soccer. You know, I can sit and watch that for days on end. It's about how long it takes for a game to get done. You know why? We just keep playing it with Neil, Neil, and where's Neil? <laughs> uh, or it's Nil. Sorry, uh, I was from Southern England. Anyway, uh, do you see what I'm trying to get? It comes from the unity of the Holy Spirit. That's what you and I have. He's done all of this for us. Therefore, we are authentic. And you should be looking for a pastor or a godly man who is authentic, who is loyal, who is honest, who is reliable, and definitely authentic. Because it is God who has stabilized us. It is God who has anointed us for His service. It is God who has sealed us and shouted through all of creation. These are mine. And it is God who comforts each of us by sealing us with the engagement ring of future glory of the promises to come. And they were charging the Apostle Paul of instability. A minor issue to try to discredit the man of God on travel plans. On travel plans. And I understand this. Uh, we used to describe it as living in a fishbowl. Okay? As, as an elder, as a pastor, you live in a fishbowl. Because everybody sets a standard. Okay? Very seldom is it ever biblical. <laughs> but they all have a standard. Okay? See, Paul was authentic. And he was just like all the rest of the believers. And every believer who shall ever enter into the kingdom of heaven, they will be authentic. See, I look at this as the noble heart of God's pastor. God's pastor that is sent from God. You know what? He doesn't even elevate himself. This is amazing about this text. He could. I mean, let's be realistic. He studied with Jesus out in the Arabian desert. He descended to heaven. Seen Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm thinking he's got some credentials. He just said, if you're going to attack my authenticity... You're, you're, you're going to mess with your own authenticity. 
See, whether you like it or not, those who are saved, we are all in this together. Did you hear what I said? We are all in this together. And you know what? We all believe in the same truth. And therefore, I don't have to try to make unity. I just need to give truth. That's really simple if you think about it. Because you have been established, you have been anointed, you have been sealed, and you have the Spirit in your heart to comfort and counsel you as the guarantee of future glory. And that is every single child of God. And that is now. And we should heartily say, Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul. And I thank you for the precious saints in Corinth. Um, Father, as you have shown me, um, they did repent. There was a moving of your spirit. And they did draw back to our brother Paul. Father, I pray for this congregation, my brothers and sisters. Father, that we will bow before your word. We will hunger and thirst as the deer thirst for water at the brookside. We would thirst for your word, knowing that it will only perfect our soul. Help us, Father. Help us to bow in admiration, in love, in grace, and in mercy to the awesome things that you do on a regular basis. We praise you and we thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for this book. I thank you for my brother Paul. I thank you for your spirit. Father, I thank you that you have given us a foundation to be rooted and grounded in. And Father, I thank you that you have sealed us and you have proclaimed us authentic, your possessions. Father, and you have anointed us for the sacred work. Father, you have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lord, we rest in the assurance of your finished work your mercy and your glory in Christ's name.